Identity is who we are. One of countless shapes we take. Masks for others to see. It's also what we take on when we enter into our favorite role-playing games and just go nuts with our friends for a couple hours. This week on the podcast, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Craig about his game and SRD, Persona. Identity defines both the player and the chorus in limitless settings, places, and situations. Who you become may be revealed right now on Scheduled for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really excited to be joined by a creator who is recommended by another person that we had on the show, another couple of people we've had on the show. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on Schedule for Launch this week. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I dove into your role system here for the game that we're going to be talking about. I think this is super cool. We're going to be talking about a game called Persona today, and it's one part game, but it's also an SRD, and I do not get to look at enough games that can be adapted, and it's so exciting for me to be able to really sink my teeth and see where this game could go. What drives me the most about where I am is that I just want people to play my game. Like, I don't care if I give it away. I don't care if, I don't care. I mean, once once the official book product, the core guide is put together and it's out there, then it's, you know, the mm-hmm. PDF is going to be play, pay what you want. And if you want a hard copy of it, then it's mostly going to be you're paying to get the, the hard copy printed. But yeah. my objectives with this are play my game and use my game to make your own games. Um, it's released under Creative Commons. All everything, the rule system, the lore, the meta setting, uh, which is what I call Shadow Light. Yeah, um, it's all CCBY. So all you have to do is credit me, and that's all I'm looking for. I'm, you know, I consider myself fortunate that I can do this, and I can treat it as a hobby, and I. I have a day job. I have a day job that is, you know, that I consider myself fortunate enough that it provides me with what I need and I can yeah. do this and I can make it a a gesture to the community that, you know, just if you like it, do something with it and turn around and show me what you've done with it and that will make my day. It's super exciting too. I think that we'll be able to really dive in and show off some of that stuff to people. But before we do that, Craig, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I currently live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I am a a desktop support manager for a small, what's called an HBCU or historically black college uh, right in the city of Raleigh uh, called Shaw University. Um, Mm. It's the oldest HBCU in the South and it is the incubators, so to speak, for all the other HBCUs in North Carolina. Um, I've been working, living down here and working here for uh, just over four years. I moved here in 2019. Uh, I had been living in Connecticut for about four years. And then prior to that, uh, grew up in northern New Jersey and lived in northern New Jersey uh, up until my early 30s. So I um, 
I have been involved in some way, shape, or form in either IT desktop support or education or customer service uh, for pretty much my entire professional career. Mm -hmm. um, ever since I came out of my undergrad in the early 2000s, um, I went back to school, went, got my master's degree in educational technology. Um, my, my journey through uh, education kind of fell into my lap. There was some circumstances that uh, I, I never intended to become a teacher, but it fell, <laughs> fell into my lap first with some uh, extraordinary circumstances. And I turned out that I really enjoyed it. So that's why I pursued mm -hmm. the master's that I did. And uh, part, of, part of my goals have been to find myself in higher ed. So um, I'm happy that I got the opportunity. And higher ed in here in North Carolina is very interesting. Some of the largest uh, universities in the country are here. Duke, UNC Chapel Hill. It's a cool city to be part of. The, the Triangle overall is, is a very interesting place to live. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's, been, it's been a pretty monumental few years, but it's, uh, it's good. And because you know, with the job change and the relocation and such and such. So. Yeah. Um, but I've been playing tabletop role-playing games since I, was in, since I was in maybe the seventh grade. Um, oh, wow. So over 30 years. Um, and I've been running games for probably two thirds of that time. So since the, I pretty much, I mean, I ran second edition AD&D a couple of times, but it really wasn't until third edition came out that I started running it a hundred percent in earnest. Okay. Um, yeah. So my group, and, and again, there's kind of an involved story about the, the timeline for things, but uh, where things started was when Wizards of the Coast uh, put released third edition and they released the OGL. It was kind of the signifier to the community that, you know, there's this opportunity now for everybody to come out and make their own content, make their own yeah. settings, their own books of magic items and feats and prestige classes. And, and so, um, friends of mine and I, we decided, uh, we put our heads together and we decided we were going to create an original setting like forgotten realms or like Dragonlance. Yeah. And, Along with that came, well, we're going to create the world and we're going to create the locations and the map and the history, the mythology, but we're also going to create these, these mechanical objects, the you know, prestige classes, feats, spells, magic items that yeah. are specific to this world. And that was the intention in the beginning, but that has been a very long and winding road. Um, <laughs> since roughly 2002 maybe okay and so um that has evolved and it went from there there was one world that became another one and people left and as i'm sure you're familiar you, you know that um when it comes to getting uh ttrpg people together there's the chance especially on a creative endeavor uh there's the chance for uh, drama and hurt feelings and things like that. So there was no, there was, that was a definitely a non-zero situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in 2007, Wizards announced that they were moving to fourth edition. And with that came this idea that the, it wasn't going to be released under the OGL. It was going to be released under a different license, which was much more restrictive. So between the lack of the open support and the, the, drastic shift in what D&D &D looked like going from 3.5 to 4th, 
-hmm. my group and I basically, we all looked at each other and said, well, if we're going to continue working on our own setting, you know, why are we continuing to use somebody else's system? Yeah. And, and at that point in time, the, the system and the setting were pretty closely tightly wound with each other. Yeah. But um, me having come from play to playing a variety of different games in the past, I started with basic D&D, &D, uh, but I played World of Darkness games. I played Werewolf. I played Changeling. I played, um, played and ran a ton of the Star Wars role-playing game, the original one that was created by West End Games. Um, okay. Uh, so I mean, I've been I've played games, fantasy, science fiction, horror, you know, science, sci-fi, space opera, um, pulp, two-fisted tales. Like um, it's been it's been re-released by a company called Onyx Path, but it used to be White Wolf, and they had a whole separate line from World of Darkness called Aeon Trinity. And yes. In, oh my gosh. Two, yes, and in two thousand, <laughs> I didn't I didn't know about it, but but one of my friends introduced us to adventure which was at the time the newest of the three so so yep. trinity had come out previously aberrant had come out previously and then adventure came out in like 2000 or 2001 and i just remember like it, it made me think of indiana jones it made me think of the shadow the phantom mm -hmm. um and it knocked my socks off and i loved it yeah and I'm really excited, actually. It's 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 out now under the new what's called Trinity Continuum. I so they've completely, yeah. It's um, yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, uh, especially having gone to see the new indie movie. Now, once going to see the new indie movie, now I want to crack it open because I want to punch Nazis. But you know that's, that's not <laughs> here nor there. Uh, and and what they did was is they actually moved the timeline for the game up to the 30s because they wanted the Nazis to actually be more of a threat. So that mm -hmm. people had more opportunities to punch Nazis. Always good in my books, if you ask me. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that we are in agreement on that. Uh, um, I hate that we have to think about that too. If like uh, that's yes. like a uh, yeah, it's a nightmare. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Persona. Uh, so yeah. So what happened? So what happened was is that. Um, I started to be like, okay, well, you know what? These rules are great, but I don't want to just play D and D with these rules. I want to play. I want to play a cyberpunk game. I want to play a space opera game, and and that's when it. That's when the idea of it being a multiverse started to take shape, and the idea that one table's version of Persona, the characters could basically, you know, table A is playing a sword and sorcery game with their characters using the persona rules table b is playing a space opera game with with their players and and using the persona rules and you start to have all these different tables with all these different games if they're all using persona then those characters are all compatible with each other mm -hmm. basically you can pick them up you can put them down at another another table and yeah in, in the fiction they might be like, well, where the heck am I? But mechanically, how they interact with the world is all the same. So basically, the way that I envision Shadowlight and Persona is, is that they are on two ends of them, or two points on a Mobius strip. So they can either be really close to each other, so the mechanics and the, and the fiction and the lore can be really clo closely wound with each other, 
-hmm. or they could be on completely opposite points where they're nowhere near each other. And if somebody wanted to pick up the lore from Shadowlight and use it in a D&D game, they're, you know, more power to you. Or in a Powered by the Apocalypse game, if you wanted to drop Shadowlight references in a in Apocalypse world, by all means, go for it. But Persona as a rule system is there for if you want to use the two together. Yeah. And a lot of what went into Persona was, you know, I don't know if you've heard the term a fantasy heartbreaker before. Yep. Well, it's a popular one here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Persona was in a lot of ways my my beefs with D&D that I saw the way I saw things handled in other games like okay, I I want my attributes to be the number is the modifier. Yeah. I want to do away with levels. I want to do away with classes. I want a custom skill list. I want um, I want to use different types of dice. I want to have multiple dice that can that can be utilized to uh, do partial success or success with consequence or degrees mm -hmm. of success or multiple successes. You know, the the sky is the limit basically as far yeah. as I want to I want to offer a kernel. I want I want to give you a very very baseline set of mechanical tools and then let you run with it. Mm -hmm. And that's basically my objective as far as Persona is concerned. It's a rule system that offers so much accessibility. I really like how you build things out. I definitely think that the the idea behind different like identities is such an interesting concept, and I really want to make sure that we talk about that too. So can you talk about identities and specifically how that works with being a player character or the player character's character, I guess. <laughs> sure. Uh, so um, I have to admit that th there is, I'll, I'll get to the, the second part of identities and what they're all about. Um, I very lovingly stole the concept of anything can be an identity for Persona um, from Fate. Uh, basically, uh, that the, the bronze rule in Fate says that anything can be a character. Well, I I like that idea, and so I wanted to I wanted to make that part of Persona. Um, yeah. And so, an identity can be a character, and you have your player characters. And I thought that in keeping with the theme of of stage and masks and uh, Greek drama and Greek tragedy that, you know, we struggle in the com in the hobby, in the community with what to call the facilitator. You know, D&D calls it the dungeon master, calls them the dungeon master. Uh, people yeah. have issues with calling anybody, one person at the table, the master. Um, you know, the, game, the, the community and the hobby has moved in the direction of a GM kind of game moderator. Well, I decided that I wanted to be kind of silly, and I decided that in keeping with the themes of the of masks and Greek trauma and tragedy, that the GM would be called the chorus. So you have initially you have two different types of characters. You have player characters and you have chorus characters. So chorus characters would effectively be NPCs. Yeah. Um, player characters are controlled by players. Chorus characters are controlled by the chorus, and that's that's a fairly you know, straightforward way of breaking it down. Um, where some people may choose, especially 
chorus, people who are, who are functioning as the chorus, it might help them to prep to whatever degree they wish to prep, to think of obstacles and challenges in the game as having their own stats. So uh, one of the examples that I give in my, my slide decks that I built to try and help people learn the game is um, the safe. So the safe can, ha can be statted out as a persona identity. It can have attributes, it can have traits, and okay, what's most important about that safe? What's inside? Well, how are you going to get? How are you going to get in there? So, um, you know, you may have somebody in the group who's a big heavy bruiser type and is just like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to beat on the safe until I break it. Okay, well, that means that the safe has vitality and it has shock. So that was in in last year when I took the rules off the shelf and decided to polish them up and decided that I wanted to get them out in the world. Um, one of the things I did was an initial read through because I hadn't touched the rules in uh, probably four or five years at that point. Let's see, that was 20. Jeez. Well, it could be even longer. I mean, I, I <laughs> all over the place is the short version. But I, I was driving last year from Virginia to back home Fourth uh, of July weekend of last year, and said, "Well, you know, I need to find something that I can do to 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 feel a sense of accomplishment about for as far as you know the thing that I one of these things that I love doing so much, and that was okay. Persona's been around forever, and now I want to share it with everybody. So I needed to read through it. I needed to make sure that the um, that the language was inclusive. I needed to make sure that it how it handled." pronouns and part of that in the process of doing that is where because originally i was calling characters individuals and mm. in shifting from that to identity meant that i could use identity as an object and it and it could be an object that was abstracted so the identity could be a burning building the identity could be a locked safe the identity can be a um, an airport hangar, you know, and then you can start to add, you start to stat out that object, that, that abstracted object and express it however you want to in the fiction. And then that gives you something to provide opposition to the player characters. Because part of, part of how Persona works is all through opposed roles. So yeah. in, in wanting to keep roles opposed and have and, and shy away from static difficulty numbers, I felt like, well, this is a perfect opportunity. If you're building your opposition, regardless of whether it's a being or not, a character, um, you know, then you can build your opposition like a character and then treat it the same way. And then once it, once it comes time to get into an encounter where you're doing opposed roles with, with between player characters and chorus characters, then this is going to be something that will help the GM to, or the chorus to adjudicate effectively. Okay. By having everything kind of run on that, that more or less same structure, it kind of diversifies what 
both players and the, the chorus can do in this situation. Exactly, yes. Because part of my feeling is is that, and this, I started playing the what you might call an indie RPG or a story RPG. Um, I consider myself, once again, very fortunate that having, grown, uh, having lived in northern New Jersey, I got to uh, play with some people um and i won't name drop because i could name drop and and i and uh needless to say between between <laughs> northern new jersey and new york city and gaming conventions in that area uh i was very fortunate to run into some people that are that are still involved in the community and in the mm-hmm. in the industry um so i mean i got to i got to experience games like apocalypse world like really early on and i mean go, going back to Sorcerer by Ron Edwards and Dogs in the Vineyard and Lady Blackbird and you know all these stuff that these games that came out of all this Forge theory uh, the the message board where all this stuff kind of was in its infancy yeah is where and the idea that the game master is a is a person at the table you know they don't have any special authority. In that you know the 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 traditional stance of the of the dungeon master in D and D is is you know it's like the Dead Ale Wives uh, sketch where the guy's like every potion you drank I mixed every magic item you found I put it there like this you know yeah. the notion that the dungeon master is God like that never that never sat well with me and I think that it's important that the the chorus or the game moderator has a certain set of tools that they can use, but um, they're no better or worse than any other player at the table. Yeah. So having identities and being able to abstract concepts as an identity mechanically is just another tool in the, in the chorus's toolbox in order to be able to provide a rewarding play experience at the table. Persona really pushes for fairness and that story driven gameplay it's very story first yes and i love that one of the things we've talked a little bit about though is the dice system and the dice system's super interesting to me because it runs similar to some others that i've seen but it does its own thing can you tell us a little bit about dice mechanics and how they work with your ident's your attributes your skills and that kind of stuff sure so um uh, when you're building a persona character, you start with their with their attributes. So, uh, by default, every persona character gets six attributes, and they are they they function in during character creation at least they function in two different ways. They they set a maximum number of any given trait that you could have during play, but then they also act as a modifier. So, mm-hmm. the attributes provide the modifier. And then skills. Skills is one example of the different traits. So uh, the traits are skills, enhancements, powers, and talents. So when you want to do something, uh, I want to, the, the door is locked. I want to defeat the lock. I want to pick the lock. I have a skill called pick lock. Um, the, the, the dice rolling mechanic is all based around D10s. So... Mm-hmm. I, as the chorus, am going to roll X number of D10s based on some 
way of establishing how difficult it is to pick the lock. The player character is rolling their pick lock skill, so it's going to be, again, X number of d10s. They are going to have a relevant attribute to that skill. So for a pick lock, it might be... So the, the six uh, default attributes in Persona are competence, which is a social stat, then prowess, which is all about discipline and formal training and rigor, Cunning, which is wits and thinking on your feet quickly, dexterity, it's kind of all rolled into one. Uh, power, which is willpower, resolve, uh, and is also your, your, your supernatural stat. Mm -hmm. uh, knowledge, which is recall and, and you know, book learning. And then last is stature, which is your physical body, your health, your strength, kind of all rolled into one. Yeah. So the character who's trying to pick the lock would roll their pick lock skill, X number of D10. The top die would only, would initially on on first blush would be the what's relevant. So okay. you would take that top die result, the highest result, and you'd add your modifier, and then you'd compare to what the chorus rolled. So the chorus would roll X number of D10, look at the highest die rolled, add some sort of relevant modifier, and whoever gets the higher result succeeds the challenge. Okay. And it's it's just that easy then. Like it's like that I was expecting like a little bit more too. And that's that's how it goes. <laughs> yep. And that is kind of the that is the rule of thumb that in any particular given situation you could you could have a persona game that literally just has six attributes and a static number that you roll a static number of dice that you roll you don't have to yeah. you, you could completely ignore vitality and shock take all those things away and it be okay when i succeed this challenge what is the next narrative step i get to decide what the next narrative step is mm -hmm. and that could be that could be the game distilled down to a core mechanic and a and a resolution mechanic and a how do we step the 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 narrative forward yeah it's like a tier of difficulty yeah and then uh so if you have if you have a tie then you look at the next highest tie so you do the same thing with the next highest and then the next highest after that and i and i have been in situations where i've run the game and i've had like three down the the list of ties so if I have five dice and you have three, if we tie and you don't have enough dice, then you lose the challenge. Okay. If you can't answer me, if I issue the challenge to you and you can't answer me with a die because we've tied, 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 then you fail the challenge. I succeed. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense, though. Like, just looking at the numbers and stuff, it makes it a little easier when thinking back on like other systems where you'll be at a table and you'll be like, is this game, if it meets, it beats, or is it, if it meets, then tie goes to the defender. Like right. it's, or is it roll under or is it, um, yeah. Is it like the old D six star Wars where it's a bucket of dice and you have to meet a difficulty? Is it like shatter run <laughs> where you're, you know, four or fives and sixes are your successes? You know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, 
such a wide variety of mechanics out there. Um, mm-hmm. I can't. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I don't know how, how, where that came from, because it it the the game we started building the game, creating the game in two thousand and seven. Um, but I know that it has it has withstood the test of of multiple campaigns of various lengths, all the way down to a single one shot playtest or demo. So yeah, um, it has proven to be uh, effective. And and then what I really would like to see, and, and this plays into, I wanna see people take the rules and make their own game, is I'd love to see people play around with, okay, let's say that you tie. Well, you might still succeed the challenge, but maybe you succeed with consequences. You know, mm-hmm. all these all these neat little, te- the, this tech that's come out of Apocalypse World, that's come out of Fate, that's come out of, uh, you know, position and, and desperation. Like, you know, you could maybe, yeah. you can willingly take a lower die in order to achieve a different result or things like that. I'd love to see people just run with that stuff. So, um, I think that's one of the things that people as creators want to see happen. Obviously we all want, and audience, this is for like creators, not, not generalizing, but like, Creators want their stuff to be seen, to be played, to be viewed, to to be enjoyed at the end of the day. We want it to be enjoyed. And then I think one of the the coolest things is I'm in a lot of indie discords and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. seeing people who have fallen in love with these small games and then they've just built their own thing. And then talking to the creators about that, they're always so excited. Even if it's in a totally different direction than what they originally envisioned. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and and like I was saying to you briefly before we started, you know, the, the indie RPG community over social media now versus the way it looked five years ago or ten years ago is so different and it first of all i just love the fact that it's still ongoing yeah first of all first like you know dungeons and dragons say what you will about dnd dnd is more mainstream now than ever before um and it makes me happy that you know the the kids who play dnd in school now aren't getting bullied because they're nerds yeah um but i am glad that the indie movement so to speak um, you know, the, the kind of the critique of games, the, the thoughtful exploration of games and, you know, why do we, why do games do what they do? And the fact that yeah. people are still talking about system matters and um, do you, do you custom build a unique rule system for every single game or do you do like everybody's, everybody has done with, you know, Apocalypse World, Dungeon World. Um, yeah, hack it somehow. A, exactly. Um, you know, how people continue to hack, um, again, thanks to the OGL, how they continue to hack games like, uh, you know, White Box and Osric and BX. You know, they take the versions of D&D that have been around for 30, 40, now almost 50 years, and and continue to use them to either make new content or to support 
you know, still playing keep on the borderlands. Like yeah. that blows my mind too. It's so interesting talking to you because I wasn't in this scene five years ago. I started playing role-playing games. I want to say about maybe six, maybe six to 12 months before COVID happened. Okay. And then I started scheduled for launch when COVID started. And that's when I started seeing the indie scene. I was kind of adopted by that. This was supposed to be a music thing actually. And oh, that okay. didn't happen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, I fell, I fell in love with blades in the dark and wanted to explore more of the indie scene. And that's how that's how I got here. And I've heard from numerous creators that old indie TTRPG scenes were either very hostile or very samey. And now I I don't see a whole lot of that. Oh no, not at all. It, it is it is diverse, it is um at least what I see and what I've curated through my social media feeds, it's, it's inclusive. It's welcoming. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a about to be 45 years old and I'm a cishet white guy. And you know what? I, I'm, I consider myself blessed every single day when, when somebody, you know, gets to, you know, takes my opinion and considers it worthwhile. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's just, I'm excited. I like the place that we're we're currently at with the indie scene, and it's still growing. Like that's things like Critical Role got so many mm-hmm. people into the the TTRPG scene, and just it's exciting to see it grow. I wanted to keep on talking about the items a little bit though, because one of the things that I noticed when reading it, because I've read the the core rules mm-hmm. of the system was how does it work to run multiple identities as a player? Because it makes sense as a chorus, but one of the first lines is that you run one or more. Is it just, like, for the challenge? Is it kind of like the the modifious, like, Star Trek game where you're sometimes one character, you flip back to another every now and then? I've played in games that have done that. Um, I played in a game of... Uh... What's called uh, Dark Heresy, which is uh, it's based on the Warhammer 40k universe. Okay. Uh, you all you play um, you play inquisitors that are out to you know to 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 crush rebellion against the emperor. Yeah. I never played the I never played the war game. I had lot I had all all of my TTRPG friends in New Jersey all played the war game, which is part mm-hmm. of the reason why when the role playing games came out that that we gravitated towards that, and yeah. we had a large table. And everybody had two characters and you basically could bring one character into a scene while the other one was doing something else. So it's definitely not the norm, but mm-hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to put it there. So that way if people, if people, you know, what I used to, what used to be called multi-caring, I guess if, if you, so again, back in the day, um, so one of the ways in which I did role playing in my undergrad days, late nineties, early two thousands was online in a text-based environment. And, uh, they were called muds or they were called mushrooms. Yes. Okay. 
So purely text-based, all description, all, you know, everybody takes turns uh, emoting what their character says or does. Um, mm -hmm. And when people had multiple characters, it was called multi-carry. So okay. I saw that way more frequently on MUDs and MUSHs than I did on tabletop. But it wasn't a thing that never happened. So that's part of the reason why I said one or more. And it could be... Depending on the fiction, it could make sense. It could be if you're playing a superhero game, you could have your you could have a sidekick. Um, I played in a game where I was playing a necromancer, and my my companions were uh, my my zombies and my skeletons. So, oh, that's fun. yeah. They were they weren't intelligent. <laughs> they weren't intelligent, but they were they each of them was a secondary character to mine. Yeah. So the applications are many and varied, but I, I wanted to put it there so that way people didn't think like, oh, I'm stuck with playing just one character. Mm -hmm. So it's more so covering it in the rules so that if it comes up in play, you're not lost in the dark. Correct. And, it, and again, it's, you know, the the... The understanding is is that you take your direction from the fiction. So if a situation makes sense in the fiction that that would allow you to control more than one character, then by all means, go for it. Figure out a way to express it mechanically as long as it is not like, you know, out of the blue or it doesn't break the kind of the tone that you're going for at the table. Mm -hmm. And speaking a little bit to that, that's part of game creation. That's part of what what might be re affectionately referred to as session zero, uh, which yeah. is for a persona game, everybody's going to sit down and everybody's going to talk about, okay, what kind of game do we want to play? You know, what kind of genre is it going to be? And is it going to be a mix of different genres? What's the premise going to be? What's the tone of the game going to be? Where is it going to take place? And those are kind of the big questions that that the group will want to answer before play begins. And the fiction might dictate that, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. So like Ant-Man, for example, in, the, in Marvel Comics, how Ant-Man has, you know, he has his swarm of ants, but then he has some of the, the ones that he's given names to, and he can tell them to do things. He can tell them to, like, you know, uh, flip a switch on a, on a circuit board or he could tell them to, uh, you know, go buzz in somebody's face or whatever. So yeah. the fiction, the, the mechanics follow from the fiction. Okay. That is really clear then. <laughs> At the end of things, like we've said, this is also an SRD. Mm -hmm. And with that comes some of its own struggles when writing because you thankfully had shadow light there as a, a side piece which we didn't really talk about the background for shadow light maybe we will in just a second but you're writing a stripped down system not system setting agnostic game mm -hmm. what were some of the things the, the little finagly bits that were a little bit trickier to navigate while doing that um, most of it came from wanting to make sure that it was complete, that the most fundamental necessities of the game were covered. And, it, and I mean, in terms of like 
and and part of me renaming things and going with this idea of um, you know anything can be an identity was originally vitality and shock were called were called health and injury, and I okay. wanted to make sure that those were something that was that was neutral to the specific application so that it could have a variety of applications. So mm -hmm. I had to say, well, what, you know, get out my thesaurus and start thinking about, you know, what can I call, what can I call health and what can I call um, injury and, and make it so that they have a wide variety of applications or if, uh, those two mechanics have a wide variety of applications. So most of the finagly things came from, is it complete? You know, it, it does it does it cover the most essential use cases for what is necessary in order to have a complete game. Okay. Whenever I've tried to create something, I think I get caught up in. Does this tie to the world? And being able to pull yourself away from the Ludo narrative to be able to get something on the table that works and covers things, but isn't necessarily tied to one thing. My immediate thought goes to like biofeedback in the cyberpunk games out there. Okay. Kudos to you is what I'm getting at. It's like <laughs> being you. able to like even just terms and th that just shows what kind of creator you are. You've been punching at this game for, oh, geez, 20, 23 years. I think uh, something no. along those no. lines. Yeah, I mean, in earnest, in earnest, about fifteen to sixteen, I would say. Yeah. It just and I mean, it sat, it, it sat on the <laughs> shelf. It, I, I wasn't doing anything with it. I moved to Connecticut um, in twenty fifteen, and when I found a gaming store where I could start to, you know, make new friends and 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 new, you know, it was basically it was what's the only the only game in town is D and D, and so. Persona went up on the shelf because I was playing in or running D and D uh, for two to three years there, um, and and I had a sim you know I had a similar thing going back to you just mentioning COVID like I moved to Raleigh in the summer of 2019 and really didn't get a chance to find a quote unquote home group before COVID started so you know I. The, the the internet is a wonderful thing and if without it you know we'd all be in a worse better a much worse place despite the uh you know not reading the comments and uh avoiding <laughs> message for certain message boards with conspiracy theories and such and such but you know i would not have done any role playing period in the last four years if it weren't for the internet we definitely wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for it. So Correct. That is also the case, yes. What have players taken away from the playtests of Persona? Uh all, all of the, the playtests and the demos that I've done have all been positive. I've um you know, we've I've dipped my toes into basically uh, you know, running quote unquote fantasy space opera. Um, most recently, uh, Weird West, uh, you can go to, if you go to Lost Guide Games YouTube, uh, the three episodes of the, um, the Weird West Shadowlight Persona game that I ran are there. Um, and, um, all the takeaways that I've, have, have been, have been positive. The only, 
and I, I guess it's the, it's the case for just about any game, is, is the learning curve of, of jumping into it for the first time. And yeah. how, do you, how do I, as the creator, get, across, get the point across to... And most of the time, the people that are playing, that are playtesting or demoing, are people that are familiar with role-playing games. So, yeah. you know, you have a common language and you have a common understanding, depending on what they've played in the past. Um, but it definitely, I think a lot of the do it yourself aspects of persona lend itself better towards people that have played role playing games before. If I were to approach it with people that have never played a role playing game before, there would have to be a lot more, you know, pre-generated characters and, you know, quick reference sheets and things like that. But most of the time when I'm running it, it's for people that have played role-playing games before. Mm -hmm. I think that is one thing that a couple creators that I've, I'm friends with, some people that I know, always take for granted is the people who have navigated a role-playing game before. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, I know that I started with Redbox Basic D&D, and I had somebody introduce it to me and I don't know, I mean, I know that I learned it well enough, but to go and, and see it on a shelf, like to see the essentials box set on the shelf at Target and, and having never played a role-playing game before, I mean, I, I imagine it's got to be much more challenging. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got to be. I mean, you're starting to see some of those box sets kind of, come up to i know that i saw them at walmart mid-covid which was a little odd to see but kind of brought a smile to my face because like like we said earlier it's it's getting out there and it's becoming something that's more and more accessible and more people are diving into the hobby yeah and the mainstream the fact that it's out there in the mainstream and the fact that you've got you know more and more celebrities and actors and and people that you know the fact that we have a have, we have a in march we got a, a major feature film with yeah. some a-list actor names and what surprised me so much about that movie was the fact that they they knew who their audience was when they started talking about neverwinter and the sword coast and uh 10 towns in in icewind dale and i'm all like like there are people that are going to hear these things and not know have have zero understanding of what they're talking about. Yeah. And the fact that they included them in the, a movie like this, like that it just goes to show you I think just how far D&D has come as compared to previous movie offerings which were varying shades of terrible. That's putting it kindly, I think, but yeah. <laughs> so much potential, so much wasted. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent agreed there. Craig, I just recognized the time. We've been going for almost 50 minutes now. Okay. So I think we better kind of start wrapping it up. Okay. But I, I do want to say, like, just to, to kind of sum up this one before we actually get into the last two questions, what are your, your, what would you say is like the top hope for Persona? 
once the core guide is is uh, put together and out there in the world, then I mean, it really goes back to what I said in the beginning. My my biggest hope is is that um, people will see it as a as a resource. You know, there's there's not just a, a mechanic system in there. There's um, it's kind of like an expression of where I'm at personally as far as a role playing game is concerned. So. You know, yeah. when you read when you read the book, you're going to get a better understanding of me and and how I approach the hobby. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really boils down to you know I hope that people play the game and I hope that people use it to make games of their own and to think about yeah and to think about games and to think about them you know maybe a little more critically and to and to ask themselves what they want to get out of the game. You know, do they want to just run around and, and slaughter? goblins or do they want something with a little more nuance i hope so too especially with how you made the rules really accessible on something like fari like that first of all for this interview that was a super helpful thing to be able to click through and just skim well, thanks to, <laughs> thanks to thanks to renee pierre for fari yeah fari is very good i need to use it more frequently but it's it's definitely a a thing that I'd like to talk a little bit more about on the show in length. Craig, what advice can you give to those folks who want to create their own work or game or project, but they don't really know where to start? Play lots and lots of games. Um, find people who you are comfortable with to run games. Run lots and lots of different games. Um, and absorb. Just absorb as much as you can. And while you're doing it, you know, start, start, get, get a, get a cheap, you know, composition, marble composition notebook and just start emptying your brain onto paper. And I am the worst person about it. I am a, I am a perfectionist and I, I nitpick and nitpick and I hope that people are able to not do that. <laughs> um, I hope that people are able to, you know, to, to empty their brain onto paper and and try things out and use, you know, random number generators on the internet, on the web, um, you know, and just, and also to do, do it because you enjoy it. And it's so hard. It's always, it's been very hard for me in this past year because I told myself in the outset last year, July 4th weekend, that I was doing this for me. But part and parcel of the role-playing game as a hobby is a group activity. And yeah. you can't get people to play your game and, and, and hack your game if they don't find something in it that they think is worthwhile. So yeah. I've been it, – it's been a real challenge for me to just say, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for me. But, I mean, if you buy it, I'm not going to complain it's a thing where it's like, how do I do this for you? But also mostly for me, but also right. you, because I want you to experience this. Exactly. I love it. No, that's, that's great advice though. I, I feel like there's a lot of really good games out there and there are, there are tons. There, there's so many. Well, I know there's tons of great games out there. I look at a new one every, every couple days <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I look at them. I back Kickstarters. I buy PDFs off a of drive through. I I yep. have gigs of, of PDFs and uh, yeah. Uh, there was this great 
situation that happened when I was still living at my folks' place. I was on on live stream, and it, it's got to be somewhere, but I had a shelf that sat under my desk that was loaded of role-playing games. It was mostly hardbacks, and in the middle of the stream, there's just this loud snap, and I screamed oh. out in pain, and then my <laughs> my feed went dead, and my role-playing game shelf broke and crushed my feet. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was... Wow. Yeah, it sucked, but it was very funny. So, um, yeah. Craig, where can people find out more about you and Persona? Uh, I have an itch page, craighatler.itch.io. That's probably the, the primary place for Persona and Shadowlight. Um, uh, I'm Tezrak or Tezrak the Imp Slayer on just about every social um I have a link tree that's floating around. Um, so, yeah, Craig, uh, you know, craig.hatler at gmail.com. I'm happy to respond to email just about any time. I do a lot of sitting in front of a computer um, or my mobile <laughs> phone. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's pretty easy to find me. Okay. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Please go check a look at Persona and really make sure you do that on Itch because Persona is currently Itch funding. Go throw a little bit of support to Craig. Get Persona out there. This game's really cool. The The actual PDF for it's like a dollar, two dollars. You can look at the rules light version on Fari if you want to get just an example. It's so cool. Persona's really neat. It runs really cool. I think that just like a lot of you out there will like it. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Thank you very much for having me. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Craig and Persona are scheduled to launch real soon. Go check them out on Itch. Until next time, though, take care of yourself. I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much to Craig for joining me on the podcast this week. Persona is super cool. As Craig said, Squidzy sent him this way from Lost Guide Games. They're awesome. And I was just really excited to be talking about this game. It's really cool. Persona is currently itch funding. And if you don't know what that is, it's a way to buy the game, but also donate to the creator on itch. It's a really cool system. Highly recommend checking it out if you're looking to get your game supported. But back to Persona. Craig's currently itch funding so that he can get some more stuff involved in this game. So check it out. If you can't afford to, throw him some money. Get yourself a copy of this game. I think it's $2. It's like really cheap for a really good system. Thank you all for listening to this episode though, everyone. Episode 99. Holy shit. We're super close to that episode 100. And it's going to be a little bit before I can get to the next one. I need to reach out to some folks and see if I can get something together because my time management skills are clearly kind of crappy and I apologize about that. If you like this show though and you want to hear more, why not share the show with a friend or even somebody you don't really care for? Get the word out there because I can't afford to advertise and people are going to trust your opinions way more than mine. Once again, take care of yourselves. I love having you all here. Thank you so much for joining me for all this time and I hope to see you somewhere out there.